2 Samuel chapter 15. Please open your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 15. And those online, good to see you all. Glad you're with us. And so just uh, we, we left off uh, last week with a pretty heavy chapter, Absalom and uh, treason, right? I mean, basically going in and politicking, if I can say it that way, against his father, um, you know, and uh, certainly uh, Joab trying to do the right thing, trying to bring reconciliation between dad and son as he, he endeavored to do that. But um, I, I'm sure Joab probably never saw it coming where, you know, Absalom would turn around then and try to basically go to the gates, especially after he was brought back in. And then, and then he waited to after David had actually um, more or less uh, restored him. I mean, he kissed him. He publicly restores Absalom. And then, then he waits to do this. Then he waits to commit this treason against him. I thought, oh, the, the, just the heart and the trenchery, the rebellion, if I can say it that way. Um, because ultimately, if you understand living at that time what they were after. This was not about just, you know, well, I'm going for the throne. No, this, this meant to go for the throne meant you were killing dad. And you were not just killing dad, but you're killing all your brothers. You're killing everybody else that would have been a threat like that. And that just shows you how maniacal Absalom had gotten because of the bitterness of what had happened to his sister, which, I mean, rape, a horrible travesty, but because it was never dealt with. And, and, and David didn't turn around and, and deal with it properly. He just tried to, you know, he got angry, but then never, never, never did anything about it. And, and it's just that sin, sin keeps begetting sin, and it keeps growing and permeating until, well, it says, you know, it spoils the lump, right? A little leaven spoils the lump. So, um, you know, we're in the middle of uh, Holy Week here, you know, Passion Week. And I'm so excited uh, because every time we get to celebrate this, I, I, I wonder, is this the last time we will celebrate Holy Week, Passion Week with you all? Because we're going to be with the Lord. I mean, I know we're going to be with the Lord very soon. I mean, the things we're seeing, the days we're living. But um, there are still things that we can be learning in the Old Testament, learning in Scripture about things that have happened before us. So we, while we have these these moments left here on earth to do the will of our Father, we don't repeat the same error of those that have gone before us. And so that's what I, that's why I want to draw our attention in. I know it's a sort of a sobering passage during Holy Week and Passion Week, but in some ways, isn't it fitting when you think about treachery and what was done to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? You know, I put him on the cross, you know. He was beaten for me, for my sin. And so... These things just are reinforcement that, you know, we need to seek God. We need to seek righteousness. We bow your heads and we pray, and then we'll begin in tonight the word of God. Father, as you've overheard, Lord, we love you. And God, we, we give our lives to you, Jesus. You are ours and we're yours. We are blood bought by you, Lord. And I pray that, God, tonight you will do something incredibly special by allowing, Lord, me to get out of the way allowing us to get out of the way that when you speak your word, that it would take such deep root into our lives that it would forever change us, Jesus. That as we look 
to the resurrection, as we look to Sunday here coming, Lord, and even Good Friday, as we look to these events, how many thousands of years ago, Lord, and we think about the treachery that went before you, Jesus, and you knew, and it never stopped you from continuing your mission and your work to go to the cross, to remove the sin from humanity, those that would receive you, Lord Jesus. Nothing was going to stop you because you knew it was the will of the Father. It was your will, God. May we have a heart after your Son, Jesus, Lord. May we be pure after your Son, Jesus. We ask this in your holy name, because, Lord, we cannot do it ourselves. We need more of you, Lord, and less of us. Ever decreasing, Jesus. We ask this in your holy name, almighty God, and all God's people prayed. Amen. So if we back up, uh, remember just in verses sort of 9 through 12 there, Ahithophel, you remember him? He was, well, he was the grandfather of Bathsheba. So when you study this in context, you understand why he was a very loyal, up into this point, counselor of King David. But this hit so close to home for him that he began to even question David's motives, you know. And, and even it looks like he never sought reconciliation with David because of the sin that had happened. Um, and I just, again, I think that's a constant reminder that, you know, when there's sin in our lives and things, whether we're sinning against someone else or, or someone has sinned against us, boy, we don't see even the amount of damage that that causes. You know, when we hurt others or when we're being hurt, we don't even realize what can take root inside of us. Anger, bitterness, uh, strife. And then on the other side, hurt, loss. What this is going to lead David to doing, and I I thank God for his wisdom in this moment, is rather than turn around and have a civil war break out while he's in Jerusalem and basically many of his mighty men and many of his, you know, his sons, Absalom's brothers, rather than coming to war right there and just absolutely bloodshed, can you, I, I pray you never have to imagine this, but can you imagine, let the video play, all the people that you love around you, all of them, because I believe, you know, David loves Ahithophel. He, this, was, this was a counselor for David. He has been with David for 20 plus years. You have that. He is his son. He loves his son. Even though his son is, is rebelling against him, he lo- his love for his son doesn't change. He loves his boys. He loves his daughters, his girls. That love doesn't change because of sin. He turns around and he sees these things. And then he knows that if he stays there, what's going to happen is a civil war. David's going to end up and Absalom are going to fight. Obviously, they're going to, you know, come at odds. The brothers are going to fight. Can you imagine watching the people that you love most and dearest in fighting like that and literally killing themselves? The sad thing is some of you don't have to imagine that, do you? Because in your families or extended families, we're going to celebrate Resurrection Day this Sunday. Many of you know it as Easter, but I like to call it Resurrection Day. You're going to be sitting around a table, many of you, with friends and family. 
maybe you only get to see these relatives once a year. You know, maybe Thanksgiving twice a year or Christmas three times a year. And you think about when you're sitting at that table, all of the turmoil, all of the animosity, because you ask, can we bow our heads and pray? Or because you just love on them. This year we have a choice, just like every year. We can do what David does. David takes the high ground here. David's not going to let the civil war break out. He's going to remove himself and flee with those, his wives. He's going to leave 10 behind. We're going to see concubines. But everybody else he's going to bring with him to flee so that Absalom doesn't end up drawing blood. Doesn't end up drawing blood. That took a lot. I mean, this is a man, as Saul would say, and heard the song, you know, that made the top 50 playlist, you know, David had slown 10,000s. Obviously, Saul had only slown his, what, thousands. This is a warrior. This isn't a man that isn't strong. No, this is a man that's beginning to understand meekness, which is strength under control. So let's look here at verse 13. Now, a messenger came to David saying, the hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. And I imagine he's surprised, David, to hear this. Remember, he doesn't know. We're looking back 2020 with spiritual vision. He doesn't know this. He's piecing this together. So David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee, or we shall not escape from Absalom. Make haste to depart, lest he overtake us suddenly and bring disaster upon us and strike this city. Do you see that he's even worried about those dwelling around him, neighbors, friends, the city? with the edge of the sword. This, this is serious. He knows that many will die. And the king's servants said to the king, we are your servants, ready to do whatever my lord the king commands. They, they understood. They knew this was going to be a mass killing, killing all relatives, again, friends, folks like that. But David also understands that God is in control. And that David doesn't need to fix this. David doesn't need to solve this. What David needs to do right now is seek to preserve life. To fight another day, if I can say it that way. To let the Lord lead and be in control. David is surprised. He's caught off guard. So what do you think his natural reaction is the one to do? Fall back and pray. And that's what we're going to read. He wants to fall back and pray and see God in this to know how to ha- handle this heavy, heavy situation that's going on. Then the king went out with all his household after him. So he's gathering up all, all the sons, the daughters, the household, the, the, many of the concubines, many of the wives. He's picking out the household, the generals, his mighty men. Most of those folks are coming with him, over 600. I mean, this is a big, big entourage. People are coming and they're, they're loyal to David. I love this, to see loyalty in the Bible. They're loyal to King David that way. But the king left 10 concubines to keep the house. Now, we're going to see something happen in the future chapter, chapter 16 here. And and I know it's it's going to be difficult, but um, I, I, I always get this question afterwards usually because these 10 women, these concubines that are left to keep the house, eventually are going to be raped by Absalom. 
In no way was David looking upon these women and valuing their lives less than any of his other wives or the concubines. That's not what God is teaching us or showing us here. David, in his extreme imagination, if I, I don't want to say wildest because that comes across with a negative connotation, but is it never would have thought his son would go to such measures, especially after what has happened to his own sister. I don't think he could have ever thought that Absalom would do such a thing as this. So David thought these women would be safe. He thought they would be okay in the home. They would keep the home. They would keep the quarters that way. And no way do I believe anywhere in scripture that God is implying that David somehow valued these concubines less or more than others. I, I, I will refuse to believe that because there's nowhere in scripture that it teaches that. I've, I've heard scholars try to, and all that does is create division and it's, it's not good exegesis. And the king went out with all the people after him and stopped at the outskirts. Then all the servants passed by him and all the Chatharites, the Pelorites, and the Gittites, 600 loyal, I'm adding that, men who had followed him from Gath passed before the king. Then the king said to Atai, um, the Gittite, that's a Gentile, why are you going with us? Return and remain with the king, for you are a foreigner and also an exile from your own place. You know, I think that's beautiful as we're going to see. He's going to say, you just came yesterday. Can you imagine this, this man, right? He had, he had just come um, a tie the day before. All of this is about to break out. He comes in, so good to see you, King David. What a wonderful kingdom you have here. Such loving people. And this is, I'm glad we've arrived in time to, to share a banquet together, to enjoy a meal together. Only to wake up the next day. Put, put yourself in a tie shoes for a minute. To wake up the next day to see what's amounting to a civil war. And David's son coming after David that way. And David picking up and basically taking almost his whole house with him. Had to be a shock to this man. This man had a choice. This man had a choice, though, didn't he? He could stay, find favor with Absalom, and maybe be useful. After all, he was only there a day. Or this man could follow the Lord and see in David as a king and God's chosen that way, God's anointed, and he would follow him, right? I think, it, one, it speaks to the character Dave, of David, and I also think it speaks to the character of this man. There's always a choice. He was a foreigner, and he was in exile from his own place, from where he was from. He had left there. So can you imagine picking up, leaving everything, coming to a country, and then finding out, well, I, I think right now we have people that are coming to the border that are experiencing that right now, this very thing we're seeing today, is what we're reading in Scripture. In fact, you came only yesterday. Should I make you wander up and down with us today since I go I know not where? Return and take your brethren back. Mercy and truth be with you. He's probably thinking, man, I have the best timing ever, right? Not so much. 
But Atai answered the king and said, As the Lord lives, and as my lord the king lives, surely in whatever place my lord the king shall be, whether in death or life, even there also your servant will be. Wow. Wow is right. What a commitment. What a love. What a heart. This also tells me that I believe that this Gentile is a believer because he chose to bring in the afterlife. He chose to speak of eternity, whether in death or life. Just by the way we live. We're living epistles to be known and read by men and women. Just by our lives, our conduct, our character, we actually draw people to Jesus. It's, it's quite remarkable. I, I wonder when we get to heaven and we stand before the Lord, Lord, what did I, Lord, what could I have ever done? What did I do for you on, you know, this time I've had on earth, Lord? So precious you gave me however many years, Lord. How was I faithful to do? And and, and I think if we're most of us being humble, we know I can only speak for myself. I didn't do a single thing with the right motive in my heart ever. If it wasn't for the Holy Spirit that has led me and pushed me and guided me, and I don't mean pushed me in a bad way, but I meant in fear. If it wasn't for the Holy Spirit, I am positive that I would not have done one thing right for the kingdom of God. It's always been Jesus. It's always been my Father in heaven, and it's always been the Holy Spirit that's guided me. I can never take credit for anything like that. And, and I imagine when I look at Jesus, I'm going to say, Lord, I, I, I'm so sorry. I wish I could have done more. Maybe, maybe some of you feel similarly. You know, you'd stand before God that way. Could I have done more? And I think, I think we're going to be so amazed when Jesus says, turn, and you see all these people that you recognize Maybe because they were co-workers or maybe you're a teacher and they were, you know, one of your students. We just had two children this last week come to Christ. They gave their life to Jesus. Uh, you know, how precious is that? Second grader and uh, kindergartner, I think. It's beautiful, beautiful to see that. And to see that the Lord move and work that way. But I don't think we, we even imagine how many people in our lives that we've actually touched with a right heart. And you know what's so cool about it? Is they didn't see us. You know who they saw? Jesus. Somehow it became about us somewhere along the way, right? Didn't it? it? I don't know what to say, Pastor. I don't know how to evangelize. I don't know how to disciple. It became about us somehow. But in reality, God in spite of who I am, in spite of what I could have done, has moved and people have seen the living Christ, the living God. It, it, it blows me away because I really believe that's what it's going to be like for almost all of us when we get there. We're going to have no idea how many people that have come to Christ or grown in their faith or even a kind word or hope that we've given Maybe, maybe, you know, an orphan, maybe a widow, somebody that we've just poured into without any ill motive. Maybe, like I said, a coworker, right? Just doing your job. Well, this guy, it was certainly for David Morse caught than taught. This, this guy, Atai, he saw this and he says, hey, wherever you go, I'm going. Whatever you're, whoever your God is, death or life, that's my God. 
So David said to Atai, go and cross over. Then Atai the Gittite and all his men and all his little ones who were with him crossed over. And all the country wept with a loud voice and all the people crossed over. Probably David thinking to himself, you know, <laughs> in love, but still nonetheless, a few more people to be praying for, a few more people to be taken care of, right? He's probably thinking that way, right? He's, he's already got 600 plus people coming with him, family, wives, husbands, children, I mean, this is quite a caravan that's moving and crossing over. I can only imagine that David's thinking, well, what's one more family, you know, <laughs> to worry if it could be concerned because he came and he exiled with his family. These are, these are, he's a real man. These are real people. The king himself also crossed over the brook Kidron, and all the peoples crossed over toward the way of the wilderness. So clearly it was, must have been dry that time of year, um, that they were able to cross over like that because normally that would be flooded. And how it, so God's timing is perfect. Do you see the way he allows these things? If this would happen at a different time of year, they would never have been able to flee. They would have gotten cornered by the sea. They wouldn't have been able to retreat that way. But the timing of when God allowed this to happen was at a time when if David saw it, there was a way out of that temptation or that trial. God provided a way out. Maybe not exactly the way David would have liked, but I'm always looking for those opportunities in the midst of a trial or difficult situation, a circumstance. Because I know my circumstances are always going to change, but my God never does. He's the same God yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And if he did this how many thousands of years ago, when I go through a trial, I often come to the Lord and say, Lord, what do you have me to do? Am I to go forward? Am I to stand still? Or am I to step back? I know him not to go to the left or right. I never ask him that question because he makes it very clear in Scripture. But, Lord, what do you want me to do? Go forward, stand still, or go back? And I never can do wrong by coming to those around me and seeking my wife, my child, praying and seeking the Lord. I never can go wrong with that, and neither can you. You never can go wrong by coming together and praying together. There was Zadok. He's a priest. Also, and all the Levites with him. So we also learn here that not only uh, do uh, these men come, but we actually see the priests and that tribe, the tribe of the Levites, also following a crossing over with David, okay? Knowing that they're following David because they know that God has anointed him king. And this, what Absalom is doing is, is pure treachery. And they were bearing the Ark of the Covenant of God. And they set down the Ark of God, and Abiathar went up to until all the people had finished crossing over from the city, basically the religious community, if, if I could say that. And, and you know what the ark represents. We've, we've been reading line by line and verse through Genesis, so you would probably remember at this point. It's the presence of God. It's, it's representing the presence of God among his people, okay? Then the king said to Zadok, carry the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and show me both it and his dwelling place. But if he says thus, I have no delight in you, here I am, let him do to me as it seems good to him. I love how David approaches this. David never for one moment thinks he knows more than God. He never for one moment assumes that he actually understands his situation. God, am I still king? Am I to be a king, Lord? He says, God, these things are up to you. I don't know these things, and I certainly don't want to be misguided or misdirected. So I I, I want to, I'm going to ask all the right questions. Lord, if this is your will, 
I'll be brought back to Jerusalem, but if not, Lord, that's okay too, and I'll be over here. And as long as I'm in your will, I know everything's going to be okay. That's what we all search for, right? You know what I mean? There's nothing like the sweet spot of being in the will of the Lord. There's nothing else that will do when you're in that sweet spot of the will of God. And so being that that's a symbol of the presence, what I love here is is I love that David, because he obviously knew his scripture, he didn't turn around and go back and say, let's commit the sin of Eli and his sons. Do you remember their sin? They turned around and said, grab the Ark of the Covenant and bring it out because wherever we go, kind of like a lucky rabbit's foot, let's bring it with us and wherever we go, we know God will be with us and we're going to be okay. No, he didn't need to put God in a box. He knows he's the God of the universe. And he began to humble himself accordingly. And he says, wherever I go... Lord, you're there, as he writes in the Psalms, right? We read in the Psalms, where can I go, Lord? For you're there. David understands this. The king also said to Zadok the priest, are you not a seer? Return to the city in peace and your two sons with you, Amaz, your son, and Jonathan, the son of Abiathar. See, I will wait in the plains of the wilderness until word comes from you to inform me. What is he really saying to them? He says, you go back and you're going to be intelligence. You're going to be an intelligence operator. That's what you're going to do. I'm sending you back. I want you to go back. Aren't you a seer? Aren't they going to see? Isn't Absalom going to come and seek you? Because he's going to want you to prophesy of what's going to happen. He's going to come to you. And when he does, you take that word and you pass it on to me. David recognized, and I think this is brilliant wisdom by the Lord, David recognizes at this point, tactically and strategically, I mean, remember, he is, he is a man of 10,000s and, you know, a great general and a warrior. He certainly has been on the battlefield for most of his life, right? And when he wasn't as a shepherd in the fields, he understands military strategies, watch God move and how God has done things. He knows and understands the idea of spying out the land. So at this point, he's recognizing that what's strategic here is is he wants to take loyal men because after all, he's witnessing treason. He's witnessing betrayal. So he wants to take loyal men. And what does he do with this loyal men? He's going to actually send them back. And he's going to say, look, report back to me what you're hearing and seeing. Right? When it comes from you, he says, I'll wait in the wilderness until the word comes from you to inform me. He's trusting that God is going to use this man, that God is going to turn around and send him word and, and help him understand what he should do. Basically, he's going to wait there for intelligence. Therefore, Zadok and Abiathar carried the ark of God back to Jerusalem, and they remained there. So David went up by the ascent of the Mount of Olives and wept. And I just thought how interesting this passage we're in in the Mount of Olives. And I thought of just what happened on Sunday as we celebrated Palm Sunday and the triumphal entry. Where did he begin? He came down through, through the Mount of Olives. And I thought, wow, Holy Spirit, look how you've tied this together for us this evening. Just following the steps of Christ and what would be and then where he is right now and where David and what he's going through. And Lord, when you came back into your triumphal entry and you were coming down to Jerusalem that way, were you thinking about what had happened to David from his very son Absalom? The way Judas betrayed you or is going to betray you? 
the picture that was illustrated right before you in Absalom with David? After all, it's a messianic title, isn't it? Son of David. I thought, wow. And Christ, when he came down, as we read, Jesus, when he got close to the city before he enters, what does he begin to do? He weeps. Right? And what do we read here? David. What is David doing? He's weeping. I understand, you know, I don't believe in coincidences. I'm watching God show us these things, and I'm, I'm saying, okay, Lord, what are you showing us here tonight? What are you, how are you helping us to understand these things? That we walk in the steps of men that have gone before us in ways that we don't repeat the very same mistakes, those that have come before us and gone before us. Just like 1 Corinthians 10 says, these things are for examples for you, for me, for the days we're living in the days ahead. And I just thought, wow, Lord, because you can't make this up. We, we don't, you do realize that. I don't have a calendar. Like, I don't plan what passages we're in. We read as far as we go until the time's up, and then we come back and do it all over again if the Lord should tarry. I mean, the Holy Spirit leads, right? So to watch as we're lined up in the week, and I, it always blows me away how God knits his word and how he, he loves his body, the body of Christ, and how he gives and shows his presence, shows these things to us that he can align everything if we're willing to see and have eyes to see and ears to hear. So... David went up by the ascent of the Mount of Olives and wept. And as he went up, he had his head covered and went barefoot. You, you know what he's doing. He's mourning at this point. He's seeking the Lord. And all the people with him covered their heads and went up weeping as they went up too because they, they, they recognized what David must be experiencing in their hearts, what they're experiencing by this betrayal. I mean... I, I, I try to reconcile this. I've been through difficult things in my life. You've been through difficult things. Uh, I imagine tremendous things that I don't even understand, things that you have all, I mean, all of you sitting here tonight, when you have a collection, a group of people like this, there's so many different things that have happened in your lives individually that I can't understand. But what I, one thing I can tell you for sure if, is the day before this happened, David had no clue. David was sitting on the throne. He was conducting business. Everything was going as planned. But the next day, everything changed. It can change like that. That's why in the Gospels, we don't read, pray in the moment. No, we pray before the moment. As we look at Holy Week, where did Jesus Christ take his disciples to a garden? And they gathered together at night, and they began, well, Jesus began to pray, and they began to pray for a smidgen of time. And then Jesus goes up to them. You can read the account. And how many times does he wake them up? But you be Bereans and go back and look. He wakes them several times, a couple times at least. And what's he say to them? Can't you stay awake? You know, don't you understand? Watch what's coming, the hour that's coming before you. Don't, don't you understand what you're about to see and enter into? They didn't. They didn't know that there was going to be a scattering. They had no idea 
when the shepherd would be stricken, that the sheep would scatter. They had no idea because at that moment, they were allowing their flesh and tiredness and everything else to come upon them rather than turning around and keeping their eyes on Messiah. Had they read the prophets, had they read Isaiah, and they did, but had they been able to attribute that moment, they would have known. Not only that, but how many times on the road did he tell them? Three times. I must suffer and die. Are we living our lives that way? Do we pray every single day for what could be tomorrow? Or do we just assume that tomorrow is going to come and be like it was today or yesterday? I think that's a good biblical axiom for us tonight. In the last days, children that are living in the last days, disciples that are living in the last days, we ought to follow our Messiah. And he taught us to pray. He taught us to pray and to pray ahead, not just in the trial, but before the trial before the difficulty. David certainly didn't know this was coming. He's now responding. He's now basically responding to everything that's happened, and he's broken, and he's going to search and seek his heart and the Lord in these things. Then someone told David, saying, Ahithophel, because as he's talking to God, he's praying, and you can only imagine what he's saying, Lord, tell me what to do. Show me what to do, Lord. I mean, what, what any one of us would pray if we were King David at that moment. Lord, what do we do? Do we go back? Do we not go back? Where do we go, Lord? What does this mean? What do I do? do I, this is my son, Lord. You can't possibly want me to take my son's life, Lord. I've watched three of my other children die by this point, or two of my other children, the baby and the Namnon. And now, Lord, Absalom, he's the oldest at this point, Lord. He would be the rightful heir to the throne at this point. His life, too? More blood? Another son? I can only imagine as he was praying that, and God, I believe, answers that prayer. We, we see the response to God's answer to the prayer because somebody comes up to him and says, David, Ahithophel, and he, David would have immediately, well, oh, Ahithophel, he was my counselor. This is a big deal. What about Ahithophel? Where is he? is among the conspirators with Absalom. This is not what David wanted to hear. He's praying and seeking the Lord. Lord, what do I do? Lord, where do I go? How is this going to work out, Lord? How are you going to fix this, God? I mean, certainly in humility, Lord, your will be done. But then, if you've been in those moments and in, in trials or, or, or difficult, difficult circumstances, you're praying and you're like, Lord, I'm praying, I'm, I'm seeking you, and you get additional information that you don't want to hear. This is not how it's, God, I'm seeking you. I, I thought you were going to tell me, you know, head back to Jerusalem now. Lord, this is not news I want to hear. My most trusted advisor that I've relied on for 20 years is now betraying me. And he's turning around and he's giving counsel to my son on how to overthrow me and kill me. And David said, O oh Lord, I pray, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. What, what else would he pray? Because he knew how wise Ahithophel was. He knew how powerful Ahithophel was. So he doesn't say, you know, what would I pray, right? Lord, 
you know, <laughs> remove him, Lord. I'll, I'll, I'll politically correct, correctly say that with you this evening. Lord, whack him. Take him out. Right? That's my flesh. Let's take care of this. I'm being honest with you. That's my flesh. That's... But he's in beautiful harmony and prayer with the Lord. He's not thinking about destroying this man. What he wants to do is see his counsel be twisted so that it can't be used in unrighteousness. Because maybe Ahithophel can repent and get right with God. I love David's heart in the middle of this. You've been betrayed like that. You've been hurt. You've had circumstances affect your life and you want to react in the flesh and yet everything spiritually says don't do that. Take the higher ground, if I can say it that way. Take the spiritual ground. Now it happened when David had come to the top of the mountain where he worshiped God, there was Hushi. Now, I want you to understand Hushi. I can see it now. He's 80 years old, Hushi, right about that. Okay, this man's coming. He's, he's, 80, he's like got the Yoda thing going on, right? He's kind of coming in with the cane, the whole thing. You know, he's 80 years old at this point, right? He's the archite, and he comes to meet him with his robe torn and dust on his head. What, what does that tell you about this man? This man is mourning along David. God just keeps bringing them and bringing them, bringing friends, bringing loyal friends that way that are mourning. They just keep coming, and I believe that's God's way of encouraging David. You're not alone, David. You haven't been forsaken. You haven't been abandoned, David. So he comes to meet him with a robe of dust on his head. And David said to him, if you go on with me, then you will become a burden to me. He's looking at him and he's like, David, I, I you know, right? My point is, is this is a, another gentleman that's coming that David is thinking he wants to protect him. But at the same time, let's be quite frank what David's thinking. This is a burden. Well, I love this man while I understand that there becomes this point where he is a burden, because he's going to want to care for him, feed him, and protect him, as, as he should. He's his, you know, a brother that way, a friend. Who, who wouldn't we do that for, right? Our enemy that way. So he tells him, no, no. But if you return to the city and say to Absalom, I will be your servant, O king, as I was your father's servant, so you know, David's telling him what to say, so I will now also be your servant, then you may defeat the counsel of Ahithophel for me. So what's David again? <laughs> By leading in the spirit of God, he says, you know what? But I have a job for you. I want you to go back to Jerusalem, Hushi, and I want you to go, and I want you to be a counselor to Hithophel. And when Hithophel begins to talk to you, because, again, you're wise in your years, and I love that Scripture teaches that. Please notice that with me. Gray hair is beautiful. This is a good thing to grow old in the Lord that way, to have that wisdom is beautiful right? Years beyond years. Hushi's like, I'm 80. I'm just getting warmed up, right? He's like, what are you talking about? He says, I'm, send me on. He says, I'm ready, commander. I'm, I'm, I'm ready. Send me on my, I'll go to my post. What do you want me to do? I love his heart. He's just getting warmed up. He's like, basically, he knows he's saying, go and be a spy for me. I'm going to send you as part of the, the reconnaissance of intel as well. I want you to go. 
And do you not have Zadok and Abiathar the priests with you there? Therefore it will be that whatever you hear from the king's house, you shall tell to Zadok and Abiathar the priests. So he, he kind of lets him in on the plan. He kind of lets him in on what's going on in his inner circle of trust there, okay? His other, can I say plants, if you know what I mean? Indeed, verse 36, they have there with them their two sons, Amaz and Zadok's son, Jonathan, Abiathar's son, and by them you shall send me everything you hear. So Hushi said, David's friend went into the city, and Absalom came into Jerusalem. When David was a little past the top of the mountain, there was Ziba, our old friend Ziba. Remember that? That was Saul's servant that way. And basically, last time he had met David, he found out Jonathan had a son that was still alive, right? Mehibosheth, Mep. And so Mep turned around and, you know, obviously was, was uh, you know, a little bit crippled there that way. He was not able to walk. He had been harmed when they had fleed. So he said to um, Ziba, all that was, you know, Jonathan's will now be yours. He says that to Map. He'll even sit at the king's table. He'll have the choice food, all of these things. And Ziba, you're to work the land for Map, right? That, that was the agreement that was established. Well, now we're going to see, remember I told you before Ziba, I said, we're not done with this guy. I said, he's, he's, he's crooked. And, you know, it seemed like what he did before was good. Well, when we read this for the first time, if you read this here, it's going to seem like this is a good thing, that he's coming out and he's going to bring food, he's going to bring cam, you know, animals like that that uh, the ladies could sit on and ride. Or, the, the, you know, it seems like it's a really good gesture, doesn't it? It seems like, wow, you know, Ziba's really a loyalist. But we're going to find out in later chapters that Ziva is just as bad as Absalom in that way, and that he's, he's basically lying, and he's going to say that Mep basically said, well, now my father's, Saul, my father's house is going to be back in, in power. And, and so we're going to find out that Ziba is also a traitor, and quite honestly, just not a, not a good man, not a righteous man. So just to, to kind of give you all that, you remember from 2 Samuel 9, uh, Saul's, or Jonathan's son. When David was a little past the top of the mountain, there was Ziba, the servant of Mep, who met him with a couple of the saddled donkeys, and on them 200 loaves of bread, 100 clusters of raisins, 100 summer fruits, and a skin of wine. And the king said to Ziba, what do you mean to do thee with these? So Ziba said, the donkeys are for the king's household to ride on, the bread and the summer fruit for the young men to eat, and the wine for those who are faint in the wilderness to drink. Then the king said, and where is your master's son? Where's Mep? And Ziba said to the king, indeed, he is staying in Jerusalem, for he said, today the house of Israel will restore the kingdom of my father to me. He's lying. You want to know how he's lying? I'll let you get. T turn really quick to ver uh, chapter 19. Look at verses 24 through 30. Guess God's going to work this out. God's going to bring this forward. In chapter 19 of 2 Samuel, verse 24, Now Map, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king, and he had not cared for his feet, nor trimmed his mustache, nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he returned in peace. So it was one when he came to Jerusalem to meet the king, that the king said to him, Why did you not go with me, Map? And he said, My lord, O king, my servant deceived me. For your servant said, I will saddle the donkey for myself, that I may ride on it and go with the king because your servant is lame. Ziba had set him up. 
Ziba had told him, oh, I'm going to go do this. And then Ziba fled and left. And he had slandered your servant to my lord, the king. But the lord, your king, is like an angel of God. Therefore, do what is good in your eyes. For all my, my father's house were but dead men before my lord, the king. You set your servant among those who eat at your own table. Therefore, what right have I to still cry out to you any more to the king? So the king had said to him, why do you speak any more of your matters? I have said, you and Ziba divide the land. Then Meth said to the king, rather, let him take it all, inasmuch as the Lord the king has come back in the peace of his own house. You see that? The truth always comes out. The truth always will come out. And that's what we see here. I mean, he, he had a ploy. He thought he was going to try to earn favor with David, Ziba. That was the plan. Because eventually he knows that King David's going to do what? You take the inheritance. Forget it. If, if Jonathan's son, Mep, isn't going to be faithful and loyal that way, then you take the inheritance. And that's exactly what Ziba was after. He was trying to, he was trying to get all the inheritance and everything to himself that way. But to do so, he lied. He bared false witness. And he tried to, to, to basically make Mep out to be a traitor as well. So the king said to Ziba, hear that, again, going back to where we were in, in uh, 2 Samuel 16, verse 4. This is where we see what is ultimately going to happen and what Ziba was up to. So the king said to Ziba, hear, all that belongs to Mehibosheth, Mep, is yours. And Ziba said, I humbly bow before you that I may find, find favor in your sight, my lord, O king. I mean... Do you see what he does? He rewards Ziba, loyalty, but he's a scoundrel, isn't he? He's a scoundrel. And, and I, like I said, we'll read more on that later. But um, first reading of this, if you, if you didn't go to chapter 19, you would not know that this is all a setup because Ziba is trying to cross um, Mep. Verse 5, now when King David came to Baharim, there was a man from the family of the house of Saul whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera, coming from there. He came out cursing continuously as he came, right? So this isn't like just using foul language. He's actually, um, <laughs> he's actually, when it says cursing, the idea in the Hebrew here is he's, he's, he's insulting him with accusations of like, I just wish you die. You're a dead dog. He's saying things like that, not just foul language, the way we would think like swearing today. You would, you'd hear, you know what I mean? He's not just saying that. He's actually He's committing the sin of, of basically wishing David death. And you might be saying, where, where is that sin? If you look in Exodus chapter 22, verse 28, it was forbidden to ever curse God's anointed or to bring about death upon God's anointed that way. It was actually a tremendous sin. Um, as a matter of fact, I'll hold my, my finger here and read it to you. Exodus chapter 22. Verse 28, you shall not revile God nor curse a ruler of your people. So that was very clear that they were not to do that. You're not to curse a ruler. Those that are in authority, those that, uh, you know, I would even say this applies to a boss today. We don't have rulers like kings in the United States of America, but, but we certainly, you know, you're, you're not to curse your boss. You're not to wish them death. Right, you're not to you're not to make those kind of accusations or anything against someone that, uh, and I look at you. I know most of you, you're like we would never do that. I understand. I'm just I'm just explaining what 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 was going on here. Okay, 
So when King David had came to Barim, obviously Shimei is there. He comes out. He was Saul's relative. He's basically, you know, he's throwing rocks at him and, you know, which is also an insult. And he's wishing David dead. So he came from there and he came out cursing continuous as he came. David could probably go on, what else could go wrong? What else can, I mean, he, every, you know, each day it just seems getting worse and worse and worse. First of all, my counselor's gone. You know, my son's trying to kill me. I'm praying to God, thinking it's going to get better. And then now I got this crazy guy coming out and yelling at me, throwing stones at me, telling me he wishes I was dead, you know. Um, sometimes it goes like that, doesn't it? It just seems to go um, in a difficult way. It seems to sometimes spiral like that. And it just goes and goes. And yet we never... <laughs> In those moments, we don't, we don't remember passages like this that show us that there is a corner that's about to be turned. There's a corner and there's hope. But we get so caught up in the moment of the difficulty that we, we're not able to see around that bend of God's perfect plan. We get so focused in being overwhelmed. And, and, and that's just real. It happens to all of us. We're human. But these passages are gems. And I love to circle these and my Bible in those times when you go through difficulty or uh, counsel someone. I, I love the, I said, you know, did David see how this was going to end? No, he didn't. But he trusts the Lord. And God not only brings him through it, but he restores him in a beautiful way, protects him. And the people and all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. Also, Shimei said, Thus, when he had cursed him, come out, come out, you bloodthirsty man, you rogue. That's like saying, you know, you're the son of Belial or the son of the devil. I mean, again, these are, <laughs> these are very um, hefty accusations and curses. Um, we should always be careful. This has always reminded me, we should always be careful what we say or do in any moment. It's so easy to read the situation that we're in and say something in the moment that we wish we didn't say or could take back, right? We, we have to be very careful. You know, I'm, I'm still learning how to, to do this. I don't know if you, uh, in your sanctification process with the Lord Jesus, if you too can relate to that, but learning when and how we speak God's truth, or sometimes it's best to stay in silent because someone's not ready to hear that truth. Um, kind of like how Jesus spoke in parables. The Lord has brought upon you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned, and the Lord has delivered the kingdom into your hand of Absalom, your son. So he's accusing him, saying, the blood of Saul is on your head, and because of that, now God is finding you out, and now God has given the kingdom to your son, Absalom, not to you, but it really belonged to Saul. Not even understanding that Samuel the prophet had anointed David, and God did the anointing, right? God does the calling into ministry. A man does not... Uh, you know, ordain another man as a pastor. The Holy Spirit does that. Men recognize it, right? We recognize when a pastor under shepherd's called by God, but certainly we don't have the ability or power to do that in ourselves. No, it's a moving of the Holy Spirit. So clearly this man is, is upset and he's yelling and he's of the house of, of Saul that way and he's accusing him and he, he's saying, you son of the devil and, you know, so the Lord has brought upon you the blood of the house of Saul, and he goes through and he, he's making these accusations. So now you are caught in your own evil because you are a bloodthirsty man. He, this man has no idea what he's reviling against God's anointed. And notice that David, you know, his guys are going to hear this, and you know what the reaction of the guys are going to be. Take him out, right? Whack him. He's done, right? And then just get rid of him. 
But once again, we, we see David just wisdom, just wisdom from on high and how to proceed here. Then Abishai, you remember that's Joab's brother, right? It seems to run in the family there with Joab and Abishai. The son of Zerah said to the king, why should this dead dog curse the Lord, the king? Please let me go over and take off his head. Please notice how he says it. He's not even like, hey, let's go over and take him out and whack him and just remove him. No, he literally is like, let's decapitate him. You know, uh, he's pretty, he's, he's already, the audio and video are playing in this guy Abishai's mind. Like, he's already there. He's already like, I can see it, pow, pow. You know, um, he's trying to take matters into his own hands. But uh, God is very specific about that. I, I believe it's, isn't it Romans chapter 12? Bear with me one moment. I think it's Romans chapter 12, verse 17. Uh, Repay no one for evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as depend on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Now, I want to be very clear again. Whenever I read a passage where it says, hey, back off, right? Let, let vengeance be the Lord's. I always am careful to also give that in the full gravity of Scripture and the counsel of God. He is never telling you to let someone harm you or harm someone you love or to stand down and not protect yourself. That is not what the scripture is saying. He says vengeance. In other words, the judgment that should be brought upon this one. It's not that David himself, or in this case, Abishai, should seek that out. But vengeance belongs to the Lord. God will seek that out. God will bring that vengeance, that judgment, because God's a righteous judge. What if David gets it wrong? Because that happened to Joab, didn't it? Joab made that same sin. He made that mistake. It happened to him. He turned around and he tried to kill, or he did, Abner. But that wasn't self-defense, was it? No, that was murder. Because he was trying to avenge his brother's death, right? But do you, do you understand? These things are important. God is teaching us that he is the avenger of, of blood. He is the one that judges the wickedness. It's not for us to do that, okay? But certainly we're not to let somebody break in our house, harm our family, harm our child, and not stand up and protect our family and do whatever it required to do that. Certainly this, the scriptures would defend that position, but never to go farther than we need to. Certainly in this case, not decapitating this guy, right? That's certainly a little bit above and beyond, right? Even for Abishai trying to take matters in this one. Verse 10, but the king said, what have I to do with you, you sons of Zariah? <laughs> so let him curse because the Lord has said to him, curse David. Who then shall say, what have you done so? Why have you done so, I meant? He says, confirm his accusation. All you're going to do, when you do that, you're confirming that this guy is right. You're actually giving him fire, fueling the fire. You're, you're confirming he's right. You're confirming his accusation, saying that he is actually a bloodthirsty man. And David said to Abishai and all his servants, see how my son who came from my own body seeks my life? How much more now may, like, may this Benjaminite let him alone and let him curse? For so the Lord has ordered him. He's allowed him, in other words. If it may be, or it may be that the Lord will look upon my affliction, and again, I love David's heart. He never wants to misrepresent God. 
please don't miss that here. Underline that in your Bible. He never wants to misrepresent God. Remember, he has a heart after God's own heart, David. And we should have a heart like that as well. We never want to say something with our mouth or misrepresent God with our actions, our deeds, or even our entitlement towards vengeance. And the Lord said, well, let me back up, sorry. Verse 12, it may be that the Lord will look upon my affliction and the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing this day because he didn't respond, right, that way. And as David and his men went along the road, Shimei went along the hillside opposite him and cursed as he went, throwing stones at him and kicking up dust. Again, such an awful disgrace. Um, you know, they would take the, normally when the stones in that day, dogs were not uh, domestic animals as they are today. They would take the stones and they would throw it at the dogs. And by throwing it at David, they were basically insulting David, saying, you're like a dog. You're no better than a dog. That's what he was really saying to David. It was an incredible insult. Now the king and all the people who were with them became weary, so they refreshed themselves there. And, and again, what a beautiful, amazing heart of surrender. Um, I think we're going to stop there at this point for this evening. Um, we're going to read that Ahithophel is going to give advice uh, to Absalom, but Hushi is going to Hushai is going to turn around and come and kind of give that twist. Remember, he said to make it foolishness. So God is going to answer David's prayer here. So next week, if the Lord should tarry, we're going to come by, and this is where we're going to read um, just the disgraceful act of Absalom that he's going to go into these concubines. He's going to do it in a public way under a tent on top of a roof so that all of the nation could see the way he's disgracing the king. I just want you to understand what, had, what must have been going on in Absalom's heart, such bitterness, such anger, to not only commit this kind of sin of rape, which his own sister was victim, you know, victimized by. What happens in the heart and the mind where that switch gets flipped, and we think what was done to others becomes okay for us to do unto others? I don't know, but it's dangerous because he listens to the counsel of this guy and somehow he thinks it's a good idea because he's power hungry. And at this point, he's not listening to anyone. He's a cowboy and there's nobody that's going to rein him back in. And so we'll see that God will then allow that judgment to be poured out because even up to this point, and as we're reading, could Absalom have repented? Could Absalom have gone to God? Could he have gotten right and then even, even probably restored relationship with David? Yes. It's still not too late. It's still not too late. As we sit here and we think about Holy Week and Passion Week, think about all the friends and relatives and loved ones that we know that still have not accepted Jesus Christ. And maybe in our hearts, we've said, it's been 20 years. It's been 30 years. It's been 40 years. Maybe it's a prodigal, a son or a daughter. Maybe it's a prodigal grandchild, granddaughter, grandson. And you've been praying for that prodigal to come to Christ or to come back in relationship with Jesus. They're born-again believers, but they're walking contrary or they're backslidden. Or maybe you're, you're going to have dinner here in a few days if the Lord should tarry. And you're going to be sitting around a table with the people that are your family, your friends, people you love. And you're going to have an opportunity 
to be Jesus in that moment as far as being his hands and feet. You're going to have an opportunity to love even though you weren't necessarily loved. You're going to have an opportunity to turn around and let God be the rightful judge and use you to be a bearer of peace and love. That's what he wants us to do. Time is short. We're running out of time. There's not much time left. And if we say, well, you know, next Easter, next Resurrection Day, there may not be a next Resurrection Day. David didn't know what was going to happen the next day. So my, my question to everyone here tonight, are you prayed up? Are you ready? Have you already been praying for those that are going to be coming to the house or you're going to be going to theirs? Are you already on your knees seeking the Lord? Are you praising our holy, risen Messiah that is the first fruits of all the resurrection? And he's resurrected those that have gone before us. And if we should die before the rapture and you're a born-again believer in Christ, he's going to resurrect you too. Even if you were the last and only soul on earth, Jesus Christ would have went to the cross just for you. Will you stand with me and pray? Why don't the musicians come up? We'll have a closing song. Father, what, what more can I say? What more can we say, Lord? Today is the day of salvation. Jesus, my deepest heart and concern for the lost, because you've put it there, Lord, in each and every one of our hearts, all of us together here tonight, is that today would be the day of salvation, that people will give their life to you, Lord Jesus, today. And Lord, if you should tarry even a few more days and we celebrate Resurrection Day, Lord, and we, we have an opportunity to have a meal with someone or maybe even this week because unlike any other year, Lord, with COVID and everything, Lord, last year so many people didn't even get an opportunity to celebrate together. So they stayed locked in their houses as like no other time in history, Lord. But Lord, this year, this time, for such a time as this, your word goes forward. Your people go forward, Lord. Your gospel goes forward. Use every one of us, Lord, in every way, in any capacity, to further your kingdom, God. To not be of the affairs or trappings of this world, but to truly have your heart like David did. To be so concerned with the lost, to be so willing to rest in your truth, in your compassion, in your love. Lord, anybody that's sinned against us, Lord God, we forgive them this evening. And Lord, we pray you'll forgive and they'll forgive us if we've sinned against them, Lord. That as we come to you, we come to you whole and pure, blameless, righteous, Lord. Jesus, we pray that Maybe somebody at home is watching this. Maybe somebody here. Maybe somebody in the radio. Lord, wherever they are. 
Lord God, if you draw them into the kingdom tonight, please, God, allow us to be part of that discipleship process, that we can help them grow in your love and ammunition, that, Lord, they will truly come follow you because you're still looking for disciples, Jesus, 2,000 years later. So, Jesus, I pray, have your way in us, Lord. And begin in my heart tonight, Lord. Begin in my heart. We all pray this. Lord God, we love you, Jesus. Lord, I pray you bless your people. You keep them, Lord. You let your face so shine upon them, your countenance. You give them your perfect peace, Jesus. The completeness that can only come by you, Lord, and nothing else. Thank you that we are redeemed, that we are chosen, and that we are loved. Let your people have travel mercies to their home tonight, to lay on our pillows, our beds, our comfort, and to be able just to sing and worship and praise you, God. You are the one true God, and there is no other. So we lift all these things up to you tonight, Lord God. Thank you for your word. And please receive our alms, our prayer, our prayer and our praise and our worship tonight, Jesus. And we ask all of this in your holy name, almighty God. And God's children pray, amen.